This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. It's good to be in the house of the Lord on Sunday night, isn't it? Amen, amen. Well, we had a great time this morning. If some of you remember, we went fishing for a while there on the beautiful 13-acre lake. We had a good time. But uh, tonight we're going to be in part eight of a series we've been doing. I know it's hard to believe this is the eighth week already of a series called Spiritual Grown-Ups. And what we've been looking at is how we can become mature Christians. Because, as we've said so many times throughout the last few weeks, just because you've gone to church for a super long time, that doesn't mean you're mature. Now, it should, I mean, definitely, if you've been going to church for the last 50 years, hopefully you're mature. But at the same time, just because you've been going to church, you've called yourself a Christian your whole life, that doesn't necessarily mean you're a mature one. Because there's different traits that mature Christians display. They, they love other people. They forgive. They obey what God tells them to do. And, 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 I mean, we've looked at so many things. But tonight we're going to be talking about, I mean, and I'm excited to preach this. I, God's been, I really feel he's laid this on my heart a while back, and I just haven't been able to do it up until tonight. But we're going to be talking about mature Christians. They are not easily offended. They're not easily offended because I don't know about you. But the society around me and the people of my generation, they get offended about anything and everything. It is ridiculous how easy it is to offend somebody these days. And and I mean, there are things in this world that are offensive and things that shouldn't happen, okay? No doubt about that. I mean, I don't want someone swearing in front of my kids and being nasty. I, you know, that's wrong. That's offensive. But at the same time, there are some things where people are just straight up being sissies these days. And they're offended about everything. It's ridiculous. And so there's this book in the bookstore I just wanted to show you. We talked about this this morning. It's called The Bait of Satan. And this is um, a, a really great book. But it talks about the danger of being an offended person. Because when you're offended, you're weak. And you're not as strong as God wants for you to be. And so as I'm thinking about this and studying and I'm, and I'm looking up a lot of stuff. And, and, and it just comes to me that we live in a day and age of absolute absurd sensitivity. What, has anybody else noticed that people are just a little bit too touchy, a little bit too sensitive these days? Where I mean, I mean, I don't even know what to say anymore without, you know, somebody's going to get their feelings hurt. And, and I've also noticed that in our modern young generation, I'm not putting down on them because by definition I am a millennial. Don't throw things at me, but I am. Just due to when I was born. But at the same time, the, the people of my generation, if they don't get their way, they throw fits and act, they throw a tantrum and act like a spoiled little brat. I mean, I've got friends and I've got people and, and, and people I love that are in my age range. And if you don't agree with their opinion, I mean, you're offensive. If you don't have the same opinion that they have about every topic in life, then you're offensive and you're wrong and you should just agree with them. And listen... Not everybody's going to agree with me, and I'm okay with that. But that doesn't mean you're a bad person because you don't agree with me. That doesn't mean you're attacking me and, and calling me. You know, that doesn't, it's not a personal thing just because we have a different opinion. And, you know, I, I think about nowadays, if your sports team loses, you see people, you know, their team loses the Super Bowl. They're turning cars over and throwing bricks through the windows. And I'm like, what, man? At least you made it there. I was sitting on the couch eating hot wings, you know? Nobody, so seriously. We gotta, we gotta quit being so sensitive. And, and, uh, I, I got a little video I wanna show you. This is a video called How to Be Offended. And there's this guy that, that he kind of, he took down some practical steps. If you wanna learn how to be more of an offended person and kind of be, you know, a, a little sissy, this is just a good way for you to learn some things. So if I could go ahead and show us how to be offended. Changing results since I learned how to get offended. Now when people don't see things the way that I see them, I just get offended. And it teaches them how not to see things from their point of view. I'm offended that you would think you have the right to post that to your Facebook account. People have every right to see things from their perspective. As long as their perspective is the same as my perspective. Here's a water for you. I don't drink out of plastic. Why would you not know that? 
People who don't get offended are insecure, take no self-responsibility, and have no sense of purpose in life. I pray for them. JP, I don't even know why you're offended. I'm offended that you don't know how you offended me. JP, I wanted to uh, thank you and show my gift of appreciation by giving you my book, because I know you, you need it, right? You're just assuming that I know how to read? There's three easy steps to getting offended by anything. Step one, listen to what someone says, and then selflessly make it all about you by taking it personally, even if it has nothing to do with you. I really want you to have a great life. You're assuming my life isn't good enough the way it is? How dare you? Step two, you want to create a large amount of tension inside your body. You really want to concentrate on bringing the tension to your stomach, your chest, and your face. How are you doing today, JP? I'm offended that you would have to ask. Step three, now project outrage onto the other person. This will make it seem like you're getting rid of the tension inside your body, but it actually drives it down deeper inside you. And because it stays there, it'll make it even easier for you to get offended next time. I'm offended that you would wear that shirt. I'm actually a little offended by that. I'm offended that you're offended by that. Since I've learned how to get offended, I bring huge amounts of joy to everyone in my life. People feel like they're free to just be themselves when they're around me. I'm just happy I can make such a big difference in the world. I think she's a pretty attractive woman. I'm offended that you would think I'm attracted to women. Aren't you attracted to women? Yeah, but you have no right to just assume that. I've been having life-changing results since I learned how to get offended. Now when people don't All right, so you can kind of see... That's it. You can kind of see there... Can I relax? Thank you. You can kind of see that... How, you know, that, that seems extreme, but I know people that are like this. You, know, you would just assume that I know how to read. You would just assume that. And, and so listen to me. What I want to get across to us tonight is this, is that if we're going to be a mature, stable Christian, if we're going to grow up and be all that God has for us to be, we cannot wear our feelings on our sleeve. You cannot get mad and cry and blow up every time somebody doesn't agree with you or somebody doesn't do things the way that you thought that they should be done. You cannot be like that. Do you honestly think that God's going to use you in a great big way to witness to the lost and heal the masses? And, you know, we've heard testimonies tonight of people laying hands on the sick, of, of going out and witnessing at the car wash and all this stuff. Listen, do you think that God is going to send masses of, of lost people into your life for you to minister to if you were offended and upset and crying and all this stuff every single day because somebody just doesn't do things the way that you think they should be done or somebody says something that rubs you the wrong way. We, as a generation, as a culture, as a society, as Christian people, need to develop some thicker skin and not let everything get to us. Yes, there are offensive people in this world. There are people that will say and do things wrong against you. And sometimes you do have a right to be upset about it. But listen, just because you have that right by according to the law of this world doesn't mean you always have to take that right. Because I've found that getting offended, that never changes the other person's mind anyway. That never does anything to help the situation. If I just sit there and feel sorry for myself and get upset, that doesn't change anything. All it does is weaken me from doing what God has called me to do. And if there's ever a day age that we need strong Christians, it's right now. It's 2017. We need the strongest, most on fire, ready to go group of God's army that has ever been on this planet. And if we're in the ditch, amen, if we're in the ditch holding ourselves crying because somebody disagreed with us, God cannot use that. We have got to get bold and we've got to sometimes get over it. All right, some of you are getting it, but anyway, let's go ahead and, and I'm going to show you three things tonight that happen when you're easily offended, when you're easily offended. And the first thing I'm going to say is this, number one, when you're easily offended, you're unstable. 
You're an unstable person. If every little thing upsets you and hurts you, and, and we're, not, we're not making fun of people tonight, but we're trying to help you, we've got to toughen up for the day and age in which we live. And so I want to show you something in Psalm 119, verse 165. Psalm 119, verse 165. All right? And, and you've got to check this out. King David. But this was not somebody that was just easily offended and, and every time somebody, uh, you know, got upset at him, he just had a meltdown like a snowflake. That was not King David. He had King Saul chasing him for years and years. Who's familiar with the story of David? Well, you should be. We just did a series on it for like eight weeks. But anyway, uh, anyway, so King David, for most of his adult life, he was getting chased around through the wilderness and through the desert by this crazy psycho named King Saul. And even when David had face-to-face confrontation with Saul, David didn't insult him. David, did, David even had the chance to kill him twice. And David would not do it. Why? Because David, he was better than that. He wasn't going to stab somebody in the back, even somebody that frankly deserved it. David was better than that. Psalm 119, verse 165. I'm going to look at a couple in the King James Version tonight. So it says this, verse 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And what does it mean when David says, those that love thy law? Well, this was before we had a printed copy of the Bible. He's talking about the word of God. He says, when you love the word of God, when you stick close and hold tight to the word of God, it says, number one, you have great peace. And then it says, nothing shall offend them. This is incredible. Why? Because you know, when you're sticking close to the word of God, even if says something against you, you're like, oh, that doesn't matter. I know what God says about me, so I don't, I don't care. I don't even have to listen to that. Why, why would I be offended about what this guy says when God says I'm more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus? Why would it matter what this lady over here says about me when God says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? I'm not even going to take the time to get offended by that. And so when we stick close to the word of God, it says we have great peace and nothing shall offend them. And a lot of translations use this. The New Living says, and nothing shall make them stumble. When you love the word of God, when you when you stick close to the word of God, you have great peace. Nothing shall offend you. Nothing shall make you stumble. Does that sound like a stable person? Somebody that doesn't stumble, that's a very stable person. If I see someone tripping all over the place, I'm like, man, that guy's unstable. Someone needs to help him out. That's instability. But somebody that has great peace because they stick close to the word of God, they're not getting offended and melting down every time somebody looks at them cross-eyed. Listen, that's somebody that's a stable Christian that God can use. And I've sadly seen so many Christians that have so much potential because they wear their feelings on their sleeve, because they're so fragile, they're unusable. They're inconsistent. I mean, they may be the most talented singer we have. They may be the most talented teacher that we have in the whole church, but they quit every other month because somebody didn't, you know, said something they didn't like. Somebody wore something, you know, somebody showed up wearing the same dress that they were wearing, so they got offended. I mean, I'm not making this stuff up, people. It gets this stupid. So when you are that fragile... When you're that fragile, you're pretty much unusable. I mean, what, what can God do with that if you, if you quit everything you ever do? I mean, it's like some of the people I see that, you know, they've had 10 jobs in the last year because at every job, well, everybody was mean at this job, so I quit and went over here. Three weeks later, oh, I quit. They're all mean. Three weeks later, oh, yeah, I quit. They're mean at that place. They're terrible. Everybody's mean. Listen. You've got to get tougher than this, people. You know, and I know, I'm, I'm, again, I'm, we're preaching to the choir tonight. We've got a great, group, strong group of people here. But as a whole, we've got to be stronger than this, where we don't just get up and melt down and have a blow up every time things don't go our way. That is immaturity, and, and, and God is not going to be able to have his way in your life if that's the type of person you are. You're fragile. And if I think about this. If you want to have a panic attack, which you don't, but take children into an antique store. I don't know why, but I did this once. And, you know, the things that 
are so valuable and fragile, if you look at them wrong, they're going to shatter. And so, you know, and I've got four kids. You guys know this. And and so we're going through this antique store in Big Bear one day, and I'm like, oh, get over Don't touch that. Don't look at that. Stop it. You know, and I, everywhere. I mean, I left, like, doubled over, like, oh, God, get under the car. Get under the car. And, and that was awful. But, the, but, but as sad as that is, I know some people... I know some people that are just that fragile. Don't look at them. They'll get offended. Don't say that. Don't tell them nice. Have a nice day. They'll think you're being sarcastic. Don't, don't, don't say this to them. And, and because they're so fragile, you just got to handle them with gloves and stay at an arm's length because you never know what's going to cause them to just have a complete and total meltdown. Listen, that should not be the way that Christians behave. You've got to be tougher than this because you are going to have chances to get offended every day of your life. People say mean, offensive things every day. And if you take all those things to heart, you are going to be weak. The Proverbs tells us, it says, guard your heart above all else, for it affects everything you do. And some people, they don't guard their heart, they just... Put it all out there and let every single thing, every shot fired at them, they, they absorb every single one. Listen, you've got heart problems at that point in time. And, and, and you, it affects everything you do. You're, it's going to affect your work life. It's going to affect your home life. It's going to affect how you serve God. It's going to affect how you see the world. Listen, you can't take everything to heart. It's gonna, it's, that is gonna be torture to you in the end, and it's gonna affect you, and you're gonna be helpless. I wanna show you a verse we looked at this morning, James 3.16. James 3.16 in the King James Version. James 3.16. And I was thinking about this couple that used to come to church here, and they got, I mean, they were one of these people, God bless them, we loved them with all of our hearts, but they were so touchy and fragile. I mean, none of us, we, we never knew what to do. They could walk in the door, and, and you know, we could say good morning, you're just assuming that I've had a good morning? How dare you? You mad, bro? <laughs> I didn't mean anything by it. Good morning. You know, and, and, and so the, the, the couple, God bless them, they eventually left. And, uh, you know, some of us were happy. But anyway, they, they were gone. And so she called, she called on the phone a few months later and, and asked if she could meet with my wife and I. And, and I'm like, okay, you know, maybe they want to come back. You know, we'll, we love them. We'll receive them back into the fold. And, and so what she wanted to do was she had a list of grievances pretty much against every single person at this church. I am so serious. And she, she went off at things that were so far-fetched. I mean, and I know, I know everybody here so well. I mean, so many of you in this room, she, she had grievances against, I mean, you know, one time I saw him in Walmart and he, and he didn't even come over and say hi or ask how my day was. Okay. Uh, all right. And, you know, and this time I went to pick up my baby from the nursery and they didn't ask me, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this, and I mean, she had years worth of offenses. I'm like, my God, man. That is awful. No wonder you're so miserable. No, I mean, that is terrible. And so, you know, I prayed for, but there's not a lot you can do with that. Somebody is going to be like that. James 3.16, it says, Where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. Have you ever worked in an environment of envying and strife? I mean, I've been there for sure. And listen, I've worked at places where everybody's mad at everybody. Everybody's offended at, at, at so-and-so. And the night shift hates the day shift. The mid shift hates both shifts. And, 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 and I mean, everybody just hates everybody. Everyone's offended. And, and, and it's nonstop. When you're in a toxic environment like that, isn't there just confusion and chaos? And you're like, I don't even know what I'm doing right now. Everyone's fine. I, I can't even think straight. I, I, I can't even remember what I was supposed to be doing right now. There's confusion and every evil work. Why is that? Because, listen, whenever, whenever we create a toxic environment like that with, with, with being emotional and, and, and just everybody's offended at everybody and everybody's fighting and nobody can get along, you can't get anything done. 
But why? Because there's, there's, there's no unity. And, and no, you can't be a team if everybody's fighting. How many times have we seen this where, you know, some sports team brings in everybody other than the Warriors that worked for them this year. But other than that, I mean, you know, they're like, well, we couldn't win it on our own. We'll just bring in all the other superstars that are free agent. And then they ended up not winning it all. I've seen that so many times. Why? Because they all fight amongst themselves because, they're, you know, there's five superstars but only one ball. And they can't get along, so they fight. Listen. It can't be that way where there's envying and strife. There's confusion in every evil work. And I'll say that the easiest place to get offended is at your home. Have you noticed, does anybody else in here live with offensive people? Okay, you know, the other day, I'm just going to write on myself. I was, I was taking a nap on the floor. I don't know why, I just did, you know. And so I, I laid down on the living room floor and I fell asleep. Well, one of my sons gives the one-year-old a wooden spoon. I'm laying, I'm out, I am out sawing logs, I am out, out, and he crawls up with a wooden spoon, bam, right on my face, and I was like, oh, oh, and I got offended at a one-year-old, I got, I was offended that he hit me and like cleaned my chops with a wooden spoon, that was offensive, and I think I had a right to be, and, and we exchanged words. You know, and uh, anyway, we, we worked it out, but I'm telling you what, I, my baby Sam, he really got onto me that day. That was, that was very offensive. If you ever get smacked in the face of the wooden spoon while you were in a dead sleep, it's not fun. It's offensive. But I had to get over that. Why? Because where there's envying and strife, there's confusion and every evil work. And the last thing I need is to be upset at a baby, right? Come on. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? All right. Number two. Number two, so if you're going to be easily offended, number one, you're going to be unstable, no doubt about that. People like that, they're not stable people. And number two, you're going to be a bad witness. You're going to be a bad witness. And I'm going to show you John chapter 13, verse 35. Over there, John 13, verse 35. Are we learning anything tonight? Come on, are we going to toughen up a little bit? All right, John 13, verse 35. Let's go there. Let's look at some words straight from Jesus right here. John chapter 13, verse 35. And Jesus, he didn't put up with bickering and fighting and all this stuff. I mean, you know, we, we have seen that his disciple, yes, Peter and John seem to have a little rivalry going. And, you know, that's pretty documented in there. And it's funny, if, if I think um, that's in John's account. He talks about after the resurrection... They're going to the tomb to go see, you know, if he was really risen. And John talks about, and uh, Peter and John were running there, and, and John got there first. Peter got there last. I mean, and you know, there's just little little hits in there at each other. And it's kind of funny to, to observe and read in Scripture. But Jesus, he didn't put up with that stuff. And, you know, and, well, can I be first? Well, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last, so you tell me. You know, he, he dealt with his followers pretty straightforward. But look what he says right here, John 13, verse 35. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples indeed, if you have love one to another. Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, that's a pretty big statement. He could have said a lot of things. He could have said, people will know you're my disciples if you lay hands on the sick and they really recover. Then they'll really know that you're my disciple. Now, by this shall men know you're my disciples indeed if you build a great big church building and, 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 and fill it up with people. Then they'll know you're my disciples. By this shall all men know you're my disciples if you wear neat Christian t-shirts with cool little phrases on them. People, then they'll know you're a Christian. No, he didn't say that. He said, people will know that you're a Christian based upon how you treat other Christians. Galatians 6 says, whenever you have opportunity to do good, do it, especially to those who are of the household of faith. We should treat everybody good, no doubt about that. But the Bible tells us even stronger, you should really treat your Christian brothers and sisters really good. There should, I mean, there should be no fighting amongst Christians. And sadly, we know that this isn't always the case, but it makes Jesus look really bad. It makes God the Father look bad when his kids are behaving like little brats. Amen? Can I get a witness? Am I, let's get real here. 
It makes our father look bad when we're fighting amongst ourselves, throwing tantrums and, well, how come he gets to sing? How come she gets to teach the class? How come they picked him to close in prayer? Why, why, why? Listen, man, that's immaturity and that doesn't make God look good to the world around us. It makes, I mean, it makes people not want to serve the same God that we serve. I mean, would you want to get family advice from somebody that their kids behave all the time and fight all the time like let me tell you how to raise kids stop it stop it and they're yelling at their kid no thank you i'm good we'll just play the hand that fate has dealt us we're good you know we'll, we'll handle this and i'm not being mean by saying that I, this one lady i know beautiful wonderful woman she sells weight loss products i'm not being mean but she's obese and i'm not being mean but but when she sells them i'm like i'm sorry i, I don't think that i they it doesn't seem like they're really working for you. Not being mean. Not, don't do that. Don't be. But I'm just saying. But it doesn't look like it's working for you. Why would I want to buy that? And, you know, and I told Katie, like, I, I'm, not, I'm not in great shape. I, I'm, I'm not in good shape. But I think I'm better off right now just doing what I'm doing. And, and the same thing is, whenever people see you, you know, you've been fighting with everybody, talking about how mean everybody at church is. And then you want to go out and witness to people at work. They're thinking, are you serious? I think I'm better off the way I am right now. I mean, I know I'm not perfect, but it's better than what you're doing. I mean, everybody over there fights all the time. I don't want none of that. And, and so the way that we behave, the way that we treat other is a reflection of our Father in heaven. You know, the Word of God, well, let's look at this. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are we following me here? All right, I'm not being too mean, am I? Not having any snowflake meltdowns? Okay. All right. Second Corinthians chapter 5, let's go over there. But we have got to learn how to get along. Christians that fight all the time, they're an embarrassment to the Father. And, you know, how we, how we behave, it reflects on our parents. Second Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to show you verse 20. Verse 20, we're talking about growing spiritually, being big girls, being mature, being able to handle a little offense in our life and not have to melt down and blow up and blow out every single time somebody rubs us the wrong way. Second Corinthians 520 in the New Living Translation, it says, so we are Christ ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So it says, we are Christ ambassadors. Well, what's an ambassador? An ambassador is somebody that's sent from one kingdom as a representative to another kingdom. And so, for instance, the United States, we have ambassadors to all these other countries. And so let's say we have the ambassador to Germany, for instance. You know, that person is supposed to go over there and represent the kingdom of the United States to the people of Germany, right? And so for us as Christians, yes, I'm a U.S. citizen and I love that, but even more important... I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, right? This isn't my home. I mean, I'm here and I'm cool with this and I love it, but this isn't my true home. I'm just here for a little bit. My true home is up there and I'm going to live there forever. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I'm just here for a little bit. Amen. And so as I'm here, it says I'm an ambassador for Christ. I am an ambassador. I'm a representative of the kingdom of heaven to the people of earth. I'm supposed to show them what it's like from the kingdom that I'm sent from, right? Does I mean, that's not too hard to understand, right? And so in the kingdom of heaven, in heaven, do you think everybody fights and gets mad at each other and gets offended and has meltdowns and blow ups and quits? And do you think that's when you get to heaven, do you honestly expect people up there to be fighting with each other? I don't expect that. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I know it's not going to happen. And so if that's technically my home and I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, I'm an ambassador of Christ, then I'm doing a pretty bad job if I'm down here strife, fighting, complaining, arguing, mean, unforgiveness, bitterness, rage, blowing up all the time. Do you think that that's a good representation of my boss, of my kingdom, of my king? No, that's not what it's like up there. But whenever I behave this way, 
the people of this you know place they're like well, I, don't, I don't listen to him man he's crazy he he's mean why don't I want to listen to that guy I don't want to I don't want to go where he's going I, I want to get away from that and so you have to realize that being an ambassador for Christ I mean that's a cool thing to say but that carries quite a bit of responsibility there's some weight that goes with that where where you have to realize that I am going into work today and I've told people that I'm a Christian I better behave myself. When they're all telling nasty jokes and the men are pulling out, looking at nasty things on their phones, I better not join in with that. They're going to think that it's okay. They're going to think that, you know, we're, my, that, that I represent that. Whenever everybody's fighting and arguing and saying mean things, uh, I better get away from that. I better not join in on that. Because people are going to think that, that, that I agree or that, that it's okay, that, that I represent that. You have got to take this seriously. We're ambassadors for Christ. I was thinking about this. One of my Bible college teachers, I've told this story, but he said one day, you know, he had teenage kids and, you know, they, they weren't terrible kids, but they were teenagers. And, you know, his son kind of got, got in trouble at school for being a prankster and being stupid and stuff. So anyway, one day his son's walking out the door to school and he's wearing a Christian T-shirt with the church name on it. And he says, what are you doing? So like, I'm going to school. What are you wearing? It's a, it's, it's a Christian t-shirt, Dad. It has a Bible verse and it has the church name on it. Take it off. What? What are you talking about? Take it off. You are not leaving this house wearing that shirt. And, and, his, and the kid's like, what are you talking about? He's like, I know the way that you behave at school. And I do not want you representing Jesus right now until you learn how to behave. Take it off. You're not wearing that. I'm like, geez, that's pretty... But I mean, that's that's pretty good. I mean, you know, I don't want people if you're wearing one of our church T-shirts, I don't want you going around town cutting people off and, you know, holding up your tall finger when they cut you off in traffic. Listen, that's not that's not what we're like here. Amen. That's not what Jesus is like, is it? And so if you're going to be a bad representative, if you're going to be, you know, I mean, then just don't tell people you're a Christian. If you're not going to live like it, just keep it to yourself. I mean, still believe, but don't go out broadcasting to the world that you're a Christian if you're going to live nasty and mean and rude and, you know, and be offensive and be offended all the time. Just don't tell people you're a Christian because you're making it that much harder for everybody else that's being serious about it. You know what I mean? I've gone to a lot of people to, you know, can I pray with you? I don't know, man. I just, every time I talk to Christians, something weird happens or they're, they're all mean and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and it shouldn't be that way. It should not be that way. We've got to do a better job because we are ambassadors for Christ and we're sent, uh, to, to do the work of the Lord. And, and, and if we're constantly fighting amongst ourselves and we can't get along with anyone, we are being an embarrassment to our Father in heaven. And we have got to do better as Christians than that. And that, that's a perfect time for me to remind us which morning we've got Harvest Fest coming up. There have been times in the past where we have had some of the team members argue and fight amongst themselves. That's not going to happen this year, is it? We're going to all get along, aren't we? Amen. Why? Because why would somebody want to come to your church if they see you fighting with your brothers and sisters at a public event? You know who you are, right, Robert? <laughs> Jesse's back there pointing at Robert. I mean, I don't want to offend you, brother, but if the shoe fits. Okay. That's a joke. Robert doesn't fight with any. Everybody loves Robert. Head bear. Let's hear it for Robert. Okay. So the third thing I'm going to say is this, is about, you know, not being easily offended. What happens if you're easily offended? Number one, you're unstable. Number two, what did I just say? <laughs> Thank you. You're a bad witness. And number three, review this stuff. Number three, you're never going to reach the promised land. You're never going to reach the promised land. And you're like, well, I don't know about that. Listen. Do you realize that God has a promised land for you? Seriously. God has a promised land. He has the land flowing with milk and honey, as, you know, as he promised the children of Israel. He's got that for every single person here. And it's not just talking about heaven. Yes, that's the ultimate promised land. And that's going to be great. 
But you can have heaven on earth. You don't have to live in hell on earth. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, it's pure misery and torture until we get up there, you know, until I get to the great beyond. It shouldn't be that way. What did Jesus pray for? He said, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. People aren't tortured and miserable and depressed in heaven. So you shouldn't be that way on earth. But you are never going to reach the promised land if you are nonstop offended. And being a snowflake and a cupcake and a sissy and a coward and any other thing you want to call it. We've got to toughen up, people. I am being more real than I've ever been in my life right now. We, in this generation, we have got to stop getting offended about everything. A good friend of mine, she's a, she's a Latina, a young Latina girl. She applied for a job at a restaurant, and one of the things, that, you know, was it's helpful to be bilingual. Okay? She goes in and applies, and the guy says, oh, okay, are you bilingual? Which she is. She fluently speaks Spanish. She gets mad and offended and walks out. How dare you assume that I speak Spanish? You just could have just got you the job. And you do speak Spanish fluently. What's offensive about that? But she blows up and walks out on the guy when she could have had the job. Listen, there was nothing offensive about that. There was no reason in the world to get offended about that. It was a bonus. It was a help. It was going to get you the job. But she got so offended that they asked her if she was bilingual. And I'm like, man, I wish I was. But check it out. Stuff like this is what's causing a weakness and a breaking down in our generation. And I think about, I mean, you know, I've got heroes like Al over here. He probably doesn't want me to say that. But guys in his generation, I mean, thank God the guys that went and fought in Korea and World War II and everything. I'm so glad that they weren't offended by everything that everybody said about them. I'm glad that they had some guts and some backbone and they didn't get offended just because people had a different opinion than them. I mean, would we have won that thing? I don't know. I don't know. We've got to be serious. We've got to toughen up. And we've got to have some backbone. And just because somebody says something mean or, God forbid, has a different opinion or voted for somebody different than you, you can't let that melt you down and have a blow up and quit and, 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 and ruin the relationship and walk out on your friendships and, and just and, and listen. It's destroying good people by being offended. And it is the bait of Satan. And, and there's this old example I've heard. But, but I've heard that, that down in the jungles of Peru, that, that one way that they would use to catch monkeys is this. They would get a cage and they would put a banana in the middle of it. And so a monkey would, you know, crawl up and he would get the banana, pick it up and go to pull it out. Well, the bars are running down this way and he's trying to pull a banana out. But he can't get it out because the banana's this way and the bars are this way. And so he's pulling and the natives would just come over and knock him on the head with a club. And then, you know, it's a, del- it's a delicacy to eat a monkey brain down there. And so anyway, <laughs> and so they'd crack him over the head and they're beating him with a stick. And, and, and he just won't let go of the banana. If he would just let go, he could get his hand out and run, but he won't let go of it. And some Christians, they, they grab the banana of offense and they won't let go. And the devil's beating them over the head, killing them. And if they would just let go, they could run free. But they're like, no, I want this so bad. No, I got to have this. I got to have this. I can't let go. And the devil's killing them. Listen to me. That is not how it should be for the body of Christ. That is not what Jesus. Do you think Jesus got offended every time somebody said something bad about him? Study the Gospels, man. People were mean to him. People backstabbed him. People tried to kill him before his time. People did all kinds of stuff. Even when they were murdering him and he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Jesus was tough. Jesus had some guts. Jesus had some backbone. Jesus was a manly man. And he didn't let everybody else's opinions melt him down. He was better than that. And for us as Christians, if we're going to reach the promised land, we have got to stop being so fragile. We've got to stop being so sensitive. Amen. And so I want to show you a few things here real quick. Numbers chapter 13. Let's flip back here to numbers 13. I hope that we're helping you tonight. I'm helping me. I hope I'm helping you. Numbers chapter 13. And and we're going to pick it up at verse 30. This is 
the children of Israel, they've, they have uh, left Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They get out. And here they are. They, they get to the Canaan land. And Moses sends 12 spies out. He picks one guy to represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So 12 spies. He sends them out to go spy out the land and say, okay, guys, you know, go see what it's like. Go see what we're going to have to do to go take the land that God promised us. Because this land was promised to them. It belonged to them according to God. And so here we are, Numbers chapter 13. And I'm going to pick it up at verse 30. And so one of the spies come back and say, oh, it's beautiful, but we'll never get it. There's giants there. And then and, and, and the, and there's walls and giants and it's awful and we can't get in. And so 10 guys say that. But Joshua and Caleb, as you know, they have a good report. So here's what Caleb says. Verse 30. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. Oh, the land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought, too. And so Caleb says, oh, man, this is perfect. This is perfect. There's already fields planted. There's crops. There's houses. All we got to do is go kick them out. And houses, man, this is a perfect setup. God worked this out to the T for us. But the 10 other guys say, oh, no, man, it may look perfect, but it's not because there's giants there. These people are tall. Tall people are terrifying. And, you know, and so they're just going nuts. And then look what happens. 14 verse 1. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. We got grown men weeping all night long. I'm not talking about sobbing. I, you know, I mean, sniffling. They're like, oh, why? They're weeping, sobbing. It's pathetic. This is awful. They wept all night long. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in the battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. These guys got upset because they didn't realize that they're going to have to fight to get into the promised land. And because of that, it turned into complaining. And eventually they got offended at their leaders. How many times... I've seen people turn on the very leaders that got them out of Egypt. Being offended clouds your vision. These clowns wanted to go back to the land of Egypt where they were slaves for 430 years. They were beaten. They, they were made to, to, to build these pyramids. Life was awful. And here they are because they get offended and upset at Moses, the guy that got them out of Egypt, they turned their backs on him and said, no, we're going back. I can tell you this much. If Egypt represents this world, it's got nothing for me. I am never going back to Egypt. I don't care how hard it is sometimes serving God. Egypt has nothing for me. I don't want to be a slave. I don't want somebody else controlling me. And the Bible says that you're a slave to whatever controls you. Some people, they're, they're slaves to pornography. There's some people that are slaves to bitterness and rage and depression and anxiety and all this stuff. I don't want to go back to that. That was awful. I don't want to go back there. And I'm never going back to Egypt. It's got nothing for me. And I've heard it said that my worst day as a Christian is better than my best day out there as a sinner in this world. And these people 
offense got them to such a bad place that they're like, no, let's go back to the world. Let's go back to Egypt and let's let, let's not even worry about this promised land stuff. And so absolutely, this did not turn out well for them. Look what happens. Chapter 14, verse 21. So they, they're complaining. They're turning on their leaders and, and they're backstabbing and everything else. And so God says, fine, have it your way if that's what you want. Look at chapter 14, verse 21. It says, but as surely as I live and as surely as the earth is filled with the Lord's glory, not one of these people will ever enter that land. They have all seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs I performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Wow. Everybody was on an even playing field here. The promised land was for everybody. But God said, nope. All, all the complainers, all the fearful, all the, you know, all, all the pansies, you're not getting in. You are not going to, you won't even get to see the promised land. And so you read the rest of that. He's like, turn back around, go, go. And he sends them back out to the wilderness and they walk circles. Look at a map. They walk circles. It's like an 11 day journey, 40 years of walking circles out in the wilderness. And God, God said, when every last one of them dies off, then you can go in. And so they died off. A couple million people over 40 years, do the math, a couple thousand people a day were dropping. That's awful. And people were witnessing this, and all of it could have been prevented. But what? What happened? They got offended at God. They got offended at, at their leaders. They, they got mad. They got offended. They turned into complainers, and it cost them the promised land. I'm not going to lose out on God's promised land for me. It's not gonna happen i want everything that god promised for me to have if he said i can have peace in the promised land i want my peace if he said i can have joy i want my joy if he said i can have provision i want the provision if he said i can be healed by the stripes of jesus i want my healing if he said my children will serve the lord i want my entire household to serve the lord amen Anything less is less than God's best. And so God said, this applies to everybody except Joshua and Caleb. And so I want to show you what God did for Caleb. Look, this is our last thing. Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. And so it took them 40 years to get over there. So by this time, you got to think Caleb is not a young man anymore. But look what happens to Caleb. Because God is faithful. Everybody say that. God is faithful. His word does not return void. If he promised it, you do your part. It's going to happen. So Joshua chapter 14. Look here at verses 10 through 14. And so they finally get there. They, they, they cross the Jordan River. They take down Jericho, the first city, and, and they've conquered the land. Now they just got to go in and clear all these towns out. And Caleb gets there, and look what Caleb says. Joshua chapter 14, verse 10. And now, behold, this is Caleb talking, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. And guess what? He's still holding on to the dream. He didn't give up. He's 85 years old. And look at this. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. He's like, I'm not, I may be 85, but man, I'm, I can still lay the smack down. I'm still pretty strong. And he says, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. He's like, I may have been young then. It's been 45 years. I'm 85 years old. But I was promised a mountain and I am not going to quit until I get my mountain. I want my mountain. 
And so here's the thing. There were still giants on the mountain that had to be cleared out. He's 85 years old. He's 85. Look at the rest of this. He says, for you heard in that day how the Anakim, that's the descendants of Anak, these are the giants, were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And so here goes the 85-year-old Caleb. He starts climbing the mountain with a sword, and he goes in there, and he slaughters the giants and kicks them out of the mountain, and he conquers the mountain and takes it. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Caleb got his mountain. Does Caleb sound like a snowflake to you? Sound like a little cupcake, a little half-baked that just didn't quite... Listen, no! Caleb was a man. He was strong. He had tons of chance. He could have got mad at God saying, Listen, don't make me pay for their mistakes. I gave a good report. I stayed positive. Now i got to walk for 40 years through the desert? That's not fair. Listen, you need to get that out of your vocabulary because I found out the fair is where you ride rides and eat cotton candy. Life is not fair. It's not fair. And if you're all the time tripping about, well, he got this and I didn't get it and they looked at him and I'm what? Listen, you're, you're going to have meltdown after meltdown, offense after offense, instability after instability. That is not how you build a life. Jesus said the wise man built his house upon the rock. Living a life of being offended and sensitive and fragile, that's a sandy foundation. And when the storm comes, you'll collapse every single time. I, I'm just going to leave it out here like this tonight, okay, as we close this out. We're, we need the strongest, most mature, amazing Christians this world has ever seen. There are times when, yes, you probably have the right to be offended about something, but choose to not even pay attention. Choose to say, you know what? I don't even care anymore, man. I'm just going to pay attention to what God Almighty has to say and quit being offended and sensitive about every little thing. Just learn to let things go like Caleb did, like David did, like Moses did, and watch what God can do for you. Amen. Let's get tough and let's leave this offense business behind us. Amen. All right, let's close out there tonight. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.